It's just unfortunate that in Malawi, most of farmers go to bed on an empty stomach in January and February, where we get the most of our food. But then, because the maize is not yet matured, conventional farmers cannot benefit from that. But permaculture farmers, that's when they get plenty of passion fruits, avocados, papayas, uh, and mangoes. So every time of the year, uh, in every season, these permaculture farmers are able to access different types of food, a variety, a diverse range of foods from different uh, sources, different plants, different crops, as compared to conventional farmers who are at that particular time waiting for the rains to grow food. And they're thinking of uh, how they will find or access um, income to purchase uh, farm inputs of which is a nightmare right now with the rising of uh, the, the prices, the depreci depreciation of our currency, and then the inflation rate. Hello and welcome back to the Oakland Institute podcast. My name is Andy Courier and I'm your host. The world is currently in the midst of a food price crisis. While there is no food shortage, prices of staple foods, inputs such as fertilizers and seeds, are skyrocketing around the world. As usual, the most vulnerable are being hit the hardest by these rising prices. The southeastern African nation of Malawi is a country all too familiar with hunger. Between 2019 and 2021, a staggering 51% of the population suffered from severe food insecurity, one of the highest rates in the world. This is sadly not an aberration, as Malawi has experienced several periods of severe hunger in the past two decades alone. Since independence from Great Britain in 1964, Malawian presidents have all pursued a form of agriculture subsidies. Despite the long history of these input subsidies, food security remains a pressing issue in Malawi as it consistently ranks near the bottom of the world in terms of affordability, availability, and access to food. Since 2005, with support from international donors, the dominant strategy to ensure food security has been the Farm Input Subsidy Program, known as FISP. The limitations of addressing hunger by subsidizing chemical fertilizer and improved seeds are obvious after 15 years of the program as it has failed to meaningfully reduce food insecurity. While maize production has increased over the lifespan of FISP, it remains volatile and highly dependent on precipitation. The continued volatility in maize prices harms farmers primarily reliant on monocropping. Years with bad harvests leave farmers without enough surplus maize to sell to ensure a healthy diet, and even in good times of good harvest, prices generally fall and stunt incomes. Either way, volatile prices within a maize-dominant system keep Malawian farmers from climbing out of poverty. Major donors, working hand-in-hand -hand with agribusiness, push governments towards input-heavy approaches that, while profitable for corporations, have been ineffective in reducing hunger in Africa. The stranglehold that the Gates Foundation and other development players behind the Alliance for a Green Revolution in Africa have over debt-riddled African governments will not be easily broken. Politicians and farmers are trapped in a vicious cycle that is both financially and environmentally untenable. For politicians, ending fists would be politically disastrous without offering a viable alternative to pervasive hunger. Heavily reliant on donor support, governments struggle to independently change course. 
For farmers, the use of chemical fertilizer depletes the land's nutrients, requiring more fertilizer each year to produce at the same level. This creates a dead end. Farmers' incomes and food security don't improve, while their soil loses fertility over time, requiring higher expenses on fertilizer each year. In response to the current food price crisis, international finance institutions such as the African Development Bank and World Bank continue to double down on on an approach focused on increasing access to inputs such as chemical fertilizers. So while this can sound hopeless, fortunately there are farmers who have found a way to break free from this cycle, and it's these solutions we're going to hear more about today. Luayo and his wife Grace Biswick have fully adopted an agroecological approach on the Permaculture Paradise Institute, their farm in Malawi. We will hear how their practices insulate them from the food price crisis and the inherent flaws in a monocrop system reliant on corporations for inputs, as well as how they are helping scale agroecology in a country in true need of a new path forward. Well, thank you, Luayo, for joining me today. I want to start by learning how the experiences in your childhood and early life demonstrated to you that an alternative to the typical farming practices in Malawi was really necessary. Well, thank you so much for hosting me. Um... Well, I was born into a family of 12, a uh, very poor family myself, and I've gone through a very hard experience in life, and I've seen how hard it was for my parents uh, to grow food using the conventional way because that required a lot of um, uh, synthetic chemicals and fertilizers, which were way out of their reach. So it was very hard for them to access inputs in order to grow food uh, and feed us. So that affected us a lot um, on our education and our health and our future, everything. So up until I discovered permaculture, that's when I realized that, uh, you know, there is another alternative. There's an alternative to uh, the food system and how we can grow food apart from the conventional way. And that alternative is uh, the natural way and that's easier and it uses local available resources. So up until then, that's, um, up until then, um, well, life was really hard uh, for me and the family, not just me, even my wife, because we, we share the same background. Mm. And, and so you, you started to describe some of the principles of permaculture, but how do you explain it to someone um, that you meet who may not be familiar with it? What's kind of the summary that you give? Permaculture is a combination of two words, permanent and culture. So we are trying to make our culture, uh, of which we know, of course, under culture, there are lots of things. Um, agriculture is under culture, the way we live, the way we eat, the way we dress and the like trying to make our way of living permanent, you know? But when it comes to agriculture, uh, it is called permanent agriculture. It's also permaculture, you know? Trying to make agriculture permanent because in Malawi, where I come from, uh, crops, crops are grown in a few months of the year, mostly from November, December, January, February, up until April. And, um, in all these months, uh, after maize harvest, after seasonal rent-fed crops harvest, the fields are left bare. There's no permanence. There's no transition. There's no um, evolution. You know, mm -hmm. so you know farmers are dependent on the very same crops harvested from the previous year. Unfortunately, 
because they do not have enough um, um, income, they sell part of the produce in order to raise um, money for other things like school fees, uh, shoes, whatever. Um, and then um, because they can also not afford to buy fertilizer, they have to sell part of the produce, you know, the same produce in order to um, access farm inputs for the next growing season. Um, and then you talk of issues to do with weevils and uh, rats and the like. So there's in, in the process, the farmers lose a lot of what they harvested in the previous year, but there's nothing grown, uh, being grown in the field uh, because they only grew seasonal short-term crops. So whereby in permaculture, we are trying to uh, diversify so that the farmer is able to have a diverse range of um, produce or meals from the, from the produce with, for good nutrition. And then there's succession, you know, one crop succeeding the other after harvesting. There's never a time of the year where a farmer in permaculture um, stays idle because uh, there's nothing to harvest in the field. There's always something to be harvested because of the diversity. So there's a genetic diversity uh, whereby a farmer is able to um, access multiple produce from even the same crop of different types. Um, and then a temporal diversity, a farmer is able to rotate the crops to avoid issues to do with pests and diseases, but also be able to access different types of crops uh, at, the, at the same time, helping uh, rejuvenating and reinstating the fertility of the land. And um, there is a functional diversity uh, whereby a farmer is able to replenish some of the nutrients uh, used by the plants uh, planted uh, because of the biomass uh, uh, pro produced from the crops and the animals and then the nitrogen fixed uh, from the, some of the crops which, is, uh, which are uh, planted together with these other seasonal crops. So there are multiple benefits in permaculture as per se, uh, not just at one time of the year, but in phases throughout the year as compared to conventional farming of which a farmer is just able to harvest crops within a single time of the year and then He's done, she's done, they're done for that. Right. Um, so that's what, how I would describe uh, what permaculture is. Right. And that seems to be a really effective way to avoid what, what I've heard called the hunger season um, in Malawi and, and many other countries, sadly. Um, so looking at the Permaculture Paradise Institute, you know, where, where is this land? And could you just explain sort of how it looked when you first started there and, and what you're working with now? So Permaculture Paradise Institute is located in the center of Malawi uh, and Chinji district in particular. We are uh, next to the Zambian border, Zambian border. So when we bought this piece of land in 2017, uh, it was a seasonal rain-fed uh, farmland. And the previous owner was practicing conven conventional farming and they were only growing groundnuts and um, cassava. Most of the trees were cut down and um, yeah, to create room for these short-term crops. And then most of the grasses were burned. Uh, there was no biomass. The soils are sandy. No, there was plenty of erosion. But um, since 2017, ever since we started implementing permaculture, we've been able to bring back 
11,000 different types of tree species of which 90% of the trees we did not plant and over 200 foods, um, we get over 200 foods from the, these forests. So, you know, we started with a single crop which was seasonal uh, from this uh, previous owner, but now we've got over 200 foods. And then the trees, uh, we had a few trees, less than a thousand. Now we've got over 11,000 trees on the farm of which we've managed to regenerate. So we get plenty of fruits uh, throughout the year. We've got uh, enough firewood, we've got enough biomass dropped from the trees, enough habitat for all, uh, most of the creatures, birds, and we've got uh, plenty of caterpillars that come um, at different times of the year and they live in symbiosis with uh, specific tree species. So by protecting the trees, we've attracted caterpillars which are edible and a great source of protein, a protein source. Mm -hmm. And um, by uh, protecting the, some specific tree species, we have managed to control erosion, we've managed to bring back other uh, bees, species, birds and the like, which were not even here before. So that's why we call it paradise because it, it, it resembles paradise. Now, so there's a lot of media coverage right now on, on a food price crisis um, with some of the factors being attributed to rising gas prices and the war in Ukraine. Now, how has PPI and the farmers that you work with, how have, they been, how have you been impacted? And, you know, can you compare that to farmers who rely on chemical fertilizers and improved maize seeds? You know, how has their experience differed, if, if you have any examples of that? Yeah, um, that has greatly affected conventional farmers because right now the price, the prices of fertilizers, synthetic fertilizers, have um, doubled, even tripled. And uh, most of the farmers, not just the small, Older, uh, like uh, smallholder farmers, not just the villagers, but all the farmers are affected and they cannot manage to access um, uh, farm inputs in terms of fertilizer, seeds, chemicals. But in 20, uh, 2020, um, we started focusing capacity building for smallholder farmers in order to help them address the challenges that they face in terms of food, nutrition, climate change, uh, farm inputs and the like. So these farmers are trained for five days and they're provided with um, tools like uh, wheelbarrows, shovels, legs and um, panga knives as starter pack tools. And we also give them free seeds and seedlings to start with, to establish the gardens. And then we, we provide uh, on-site technical support on how they implement these um, approaches. And uh, so far we are working with 1,000, we're supporting 1,000 farmers. And you know, on average, like um, in Malawi, a family size is uh, five to seven. So we, we, we are supporting thousands of families for individuals by supporting these 1,000 farmers. In terms of the trees, we, we, we've helped the farmers plant more trees, a thousand each, and we've planted a million trees so far. Um, and we have seen uh, that their diets have changed. Not just their diets, we can start with the fields. They used to grow less than five different crops on their fields, including around their homesteads, in their seasonal farmland and in the wetland. When we did the first uh, survey, we realized that they could only grow, farmers could only grow 
not more than five different types of crops uh, using the conventional way. But after receiving our training, farmers are able to grow over 50, 50 uh, different types of uh, trees, uh, not, not just trees, different types of crops on their farm, uh, starting with um, um, the integrated homestead farm, farming around their homes in the uh, seasonal farmlands where they grow rain-fed crops and in the wetlands where they used to grow seasonal irrigated maize and vegetables. So now around their homes, uh, the, we've helped farmers minimize sweat background and uh, we've helped farmers uh, establish hard gardens and they're able to access different types of crops, vegetables, fruits, legumes, nuts. Um, and then their diets have also changed because in Malawi, if you're talking about a staple crop, it is in Sima, which is maized, corn-based. And now our farmers who are practicing permaculture as compared to conventional farmers, these farmers are able to um, access different types of um, foods from different sources and their meals are diversified. You know, they've got plenty of um, options instead of just maize. Mm -hmm. And it's just unfortunate that in Malawi, most of farmers go to bed in an empty stomach in January and February where we get the most of our food. food. But then because the maize is not yet matured, conventional farmers cannot benefit from that. But permaculture farmers, that's when they get plenty of passion fruits, avocados, papayas, uh, and mangoes. So every time of the year, uh, in every season, these permaculture farmers are able to access different types of food, a variety, a diverse range of foods from different uh, sources, different plants, different crops, as compared to conventional farmers who are at that particular time waiting for the rains to grow food. And they're thinking of uh, how they will find or access um, income to purchase uh, farm inputs, of which is a nightmare right now with the rising of the, the, the prices, the depreci depreciation of our currency, and then the inflation rate. So the Malawian government currently spends a large proportion of its budget in agriculture on subsidizing chemical fertilizers. Uh, so some numbers. At its peak in 2009, FISP received 74% of the Ministry of Agriculture budget, 16% of the entire government budget. While spending on the program has fallen, it was still allocated over $48.5 million, which is 20% of the agriculture budget, to target 900,000 farmers in 2019 and 2020. Now, three quarters of the sum went towards subsidizing chemical fertilizer. So can you explain what it's like for farmers who rely on these subsidies? So the government subsidized uh, synthetic fertilizer chemicals and seeds. In terms of the seeds, the government does only subsidized maize and then fertilizer, which is like um, promoting farmers to grow more maize using fertilizer, using more fertilizer, you know, uh, which uh, the government now has failed and is failing because, you know, everything has gone up, you know, they cannot manage to access enough revenue, enough funds or resources to subsidize the inputs. So even the subsidized inputs are at a cost that uh, local farmers cannot achieve. So this has greatly affected conventional farmers, the government, um, not much um, with the permaculture farmers. Right, and 
even with that subsidy, it's still out of reach for so many farmers. So, you know, in your opinion, instead of subsidizing um, inputs, what, how could the government better be spending this money? Yeah, the government, including donors, could be funding sustainable projects, um, projects who are promoting sustainable ways of farming and providing, uh, I would say, sustainable inputs. Inputs like the ones that we give our farmers. If we give our farmers uh, inputs, uh, we don't come back and give them extra inputs because these are open pollinated seeds, uh, which the farmers are able to multiply on their own right. as compared to hybrid GMO seeds, which are subsidized by the government of which a farmer is supposed to buy the seed every year hmm. or fertilizer, which the farmer is supposed to buy every year. In permaculture, we are, we are teaching our farmers sustainable ways on how to uh, heal the soil, how to make compost, of which even after the project is phased out, the farmers will be able to make compost on their own because they're using resources next to their doorstep uh, as compared to the government. So I would say government, including the donors, um, uh, could be supporting sustainable projects like our project, um, of which if they've sponsored the project once, they can move on to sponsor other, other, other projects instead of, uh, um, continue to sponsor the same project, the same things every year. So the subsidy program, uh, they just focus on the very same things every year. And the, the, the worst uh, part of it is that uh, the price of uh, the, the, the farm inputs uh, is getting out of hand every year. Right, well, yeah, with, with the prices going even higher now, it seems really like the time for the government to, to try to break away from, from that failed um, system that they've kept pouring money into, which really seems to be benefiting the input supplying corporations far more than the farmers. And thank you again, Luayo, for your time. Now, for listeners who want to learn more about PPI, including taking a look at some of the amazing photos, uh, check out their Facebook page. It's a, there's a link provided in the episode description. We've got some great guests coming up in the weeks to come, so be sure that you are subscribed wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, as always, to learn more, you can visit the Oakland Institute website, oaklandinstitute.org. Thank you, as always, for listening. Until next time. Friday.